Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Dr. Dawson Church with us today from Northern California. Now, Dr. Church founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare, where he studies and implements promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. He's also the author of a best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, that talks about the link between emotions and genetics. So let's welcome Dr. Church, and we'll go from there. Welcome, Dr. Church. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure having you. Uh, So before we begin, tell us what your institute is all about. I just love finding hacks that let people really get past their roadblocks. And before we went live, we were just talking about the whole idea of planning success. Uh, many people are just stuck in things, in jobs and careers, in, in paths that just don't really serve their highest good. And so to really unlock your human potential, what do you do? And so the National Institute does two things, focuses on stress reduction initially, and also then peak states. Stress reduction, because if you have a lot of your mind share gobbled up by traumatic stress, by your past, by worries about your history, fears for the future, if that's a lot of what's occupying your brain, you aren't really available to the present moment and the inspiration that can be coming to you right now. So that's the one thing you have to do. You have to deal with traumatic stress. Our biggest program is called the Veterans Stress Solution. And over the last decade, we treated over 20,000 veterans with PTSD. Again, if they have PTSD, they can't escape that pull of traumatic stress. But then when you're unstressed, what do you do next? And what you do next is you move toward those things that make your heart sing, that unlock your full potential. And that's meditation, that's reaching elevated states, that's really devoting your local reality. In my book, Mind to Matter, I talk about local mind and non-local mind and aligning your local reality with all of the uh, wisdom and creativity and compassion, love and joy in non-local reality, and then having a flow between those two. So that's what we do. That's what inspires me. And that's what we've seen literally tens of thousands of people unlock in the last couple of decades. What's integrative healthcare? Integrative healthcare is integrating the best of conventional care and also the best of of alternative care, complementary medicine. So maybe, for example, you are going to benefit from nutraceuticals. Maybe you'll benefit from a certain style of meditation. Maybe there's an energy medicine technique like Reiki or Joray or acupressure that's going to benefit you. And we focus on an approach to wellness that integrates both that and also you may need a pill. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, when we talk about you mentioned two things there. One is stress on the one end and peak states on the other, um, you know, which both need to be managed and channelized in, in, the right, in the proper way. You know, nowadays we talk a lot more about mental health than we used to before, yet it is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I still believe that uh, unless it gets really serious, mental health is not noticed, while somebody could be struggling for years, even decades with mental health issues, 
that they're trying to cope up with themselves very unsuccessfully. And it could be any age, right? It could be students, it could be teenagers, it could be youngsters, it could be elderly folk. Everybody is dealing with their, their own um, demons, so to speak. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about that? You know, the, the, the expanse of mental health that just is not noticed before it becomes too serious. Yeah, the World Health Organization says that over the last couple of years, with the pandemic and all the other global crises going on, that rates of anxiety and depression have roughly doubled and approaching half of the population of the world, all over the world, is suffering from, from exacerbated rates of anxiety and depression. So it was a global health crisis earlier. Now it is even more of a global health crisis. And you find this, you know, Rajiv, what, what so moves me sometimes is I'll, I'll do a live workshop. It'll be either uh, uh, an in-person workshop at Omega Institute or Esalen or someplace where I'm doing a live workshop, people are in the room with me, or a virtual workshop. And I'll work with some young professional, maybe a woman, maybe a man, maybe 28 years old. They're making a six-figure income. They are in all outward appearances. They're doing really well. Their health is good. They may have a lot of leisure time, a lot of disposable income. And yet, when we just scratch the surface, they're suffering. They have insomnia. They have repetitive thoughts. And those recurring thoughts are a symptom of traumatic stress. So you just scratch the surface and you find that people are dealing with this load of anxiety, depression, phobias, traumatic stress, all kinds of forms of, of mental ill health. And the idea that this is mental, calling it mental, is profoundly misleading because it results in poorer physical health, especially after age 45 and age 65. So we look at, at huge studies like the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, ACEs. If you had one or more of a parent who was depressed, a parent who went to jail, a parent, parents who got divorced, parents who were separated, or any one of these, these, these childhood stressors result later on in increased rates of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, smoking, suicide attempts, you name the illness and these are physical illnesses and they're showing up as a result of childhood stress. So it really affects us later on in life. And the cumulative effect, just one study, for example, showed that optimists live on average 10 years longer than pessimists. So cumulatively, it affects not just your health, it affects your longevity. So I'm such a passionate advocate for these kinds of approaches because if we can reduce people's stress early on, even if you're 55 or 75, reduce, reduce your stress now, the chances of you reaching a much older age are far greater than if you don't intervene and reduce that stress. So that's why early intervention at every age is really important. Now, you also talk about uh, the emotional freedom technique, EFT. What is yeah. that? Emotional freedom techniques is a combination of cognitive therapy approaches with acupressure. And so everyone knows what acupuncture is. It's the insertion of needles in points in the body. And as acupuncture theory goes, there are these flows of energy in the body. And 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, flows of energy in the body were really mysterious. Now we can stick people in an MRI machine or hook them up to an EEG or use a galvanometer. And we just measure those energy flows in the body easily. And it's really amazing to have people measured this way. So we'll take, for example, uh, for example, I worked with a, 
uh, a young Iraq Iraq war veteran. And he had a, a terrible case of PTSD, very, very high levels of flashbacks and nightmares and intrusive thoughts. And his worst experience from, from the war was shortly after he was deployed, one of his friends was killed and he was a medic. He had to, among his, his jobs was he had to clean the uniforms of the soldiers who were killed to send them back with their personal effects back to the US. So he had to clean the uniform of his friend. And after five days in the Iraqi sun, the uniform smelled terrible. And he had to literally run outside the medic hut, hyperventilate, run back inside, do a little bit of cleaning, run back outside to get a fresh breath. And as I worked with him on this terrible memory of cleaning the friend's uniform, his stress level, his level of emotional triggering was 10 out of 10. I then used EFT with him, again, just applying pressure to acupuncture points, not needles, just pressure, finger to pressure on these 12 acupuncture meridians. And he just calmed down immediately. We weren't measuring him with a brain device like an MRI or an EEG. We've done plenty of EEG research though, and it shows that people's levels of emotional triggering drop precipitously when you use EFT and this acupressure intervention. His levels of triggering around cleaning the uniform went from a 10 down to a zero. Three months later, I ran into him again. He was down to a zero still. And he said to me, Dawson, at the time, I hated drawing that job of cleaning his uniform. But now I look back and realize I'm glad it was me that got chosen for that job because I knew him and I could do it with love. And so now he had a, what that's in psychology called a cognitive shift from seeing it as this huge tragedy to an act of love. And EFT has that effect. It very rapidly balances the body's energies. And in MRIs, we see the emotional midbrain calm way down. People go down to a zero and they stay to zero. So that's the effect we've seen in many randomized controlled trials. That's the effect that EFT acupressure has on the brain, on the memory, and on psychological distress. You know, talking about cognitive shifts, have you in your own life experienced things that were a certain way, but you made, <laughs> made some conscious changes and they impacted you? Hugely, I used to be in book publishing. And I used to be the guy that was making the book happen. The book, get the book produced, get the book marketed, get the book into distribution. I was the, the guy who was the managing the whole publishing process. I thought I had nothing to say myself as an author. Authors were other people. And um, when I began to meditate, I, I had a real crisis at the age of 45. And I had one business that was doing really well and taking off, but was very demanding. A second business going down the tubes and I just faced this crisis. I had two young kids at the time, and I met with my life coach and said, I'm just in a state where I, I don't know what to do next. And she said, Dawson, do you meditate? Now, I'd learned to meditate when I was 15 years old, but I hadn't done it regularly for the, the, ne the next 30 years. That day, Rajiv, I said, I commit to meditating every single day from tomorrow morning onward. Now that was hard for me. I'm a late riser, so I had to set my alarm clock earlier than my kids had to get up to get taken to school. 
that I set my alarm clock early. I meditated that first day. And within a few months, my money life, my relationship life, my professional life began to change. And I began to work with authors more closely. I worked with Bruce Lipton on a book called The Biology of Belief. That gave me the idea for what became my best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, about the effect of our intangible states, energy, consciousness, on our genetics. And it turns out when I finally did research 10 years later, we are having a remarkable effect on which genes are turned on, which genes are turned off by our thoughts alone. So for me, it was that, that crisis, that commitment to meditation, and suddenly everything changed. I wrote a book, it became a bestseller. That led to more books, that led to a training business, that led to then really pursuing the science of peak states. Because once you've solved the trauma puzzle, once you aren't traumatized anymore, where do you go next? And that's where I'm currently doing my research. Peak states, thriving, and flow. Awesome. So when you talk about peak states, is there any upper limit to the peak states, or is it infinity? <laughs> that is such a good question, Rajiv. Is there an upper limit to peak states? So in my book, Bliss Brain, I drill into all these questions about meditation because I wanted to separate the wheat from the chaff. What is really science-based about how to meditate and what moves the needle in terms of neural plasticity? And so we know that our brains are neuroplastic. We know they can change very quickly, but which meditative techniques shift the brain's function the quickest and which produce the most neural plasticity over the shortest amount of time? And so one of the, the questions I asked in the book was, is there an upper limit? And is there research showing what the upper limit is? And I sort of thought, well, surely once one of these monks or nuns has hit 10,000 hours of meditation, that takes you know many years to do, 10 years or more to hit that 10,000 hour mark. Surely they're on a, on a plateau of well-being that goes no higher. I was totally wrong about that. So I, there was one set of, of studies, MRI studies, that looked at the MRIs and the brain structure. Now, again, we're not talking about brain function here. Initially, brain function changes. So function changes, then connectivity between regions changes, then anatomy changes. And so literally, the anatomical structure of the brains of these monks and nuns is changing over time. And I found a group of of monks, and they had spent not 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours or 30,000 hours, they spent an average of 43,000 hours in meditation, which pretty means, you know, you're, <laughs> you're sitting cross-legged all day every day for, you know, 30, 30 40 years. And, it, and the MRI scientists compared it to a second group that has spent 63,000 hours. And they found remarkable changes in the brains of people between 43 and 63,000 hours, including stress structures like the amygdala atrophied. They literally were shriveling up and going away. Structures like the nucleus accumbens. The nucleus accumbens is a central hub of our dopaminergic reward system. So it's engaged with drugs like cocaine, heroin, to some extent chocolate, smoking, alcohol, all of these engage the dopaminergic system and our nucleus accumbens is highly active in addicts. So those cocaine addicts, those alcohol addicts, those opioid addicts, they have a just flaming nucleus accumbens. The nucleus accumbens in the 63,000 hour adepts, these meditation practitioners was literally 
atrophying. The addiction center of the brain was atrophying. The stress center of the brain, the amygdala, was atrophying. So the answer is, if there may be an upper limit, but we haven't found it yet. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, you know, in terms of your book, The Genie in the Genes, when did you write it and what's it about? It was started, I was working with Bruce Lipton on the biology belief in 2002, 2003. And so 2004, I conceived a follow-up book. And my reasoning was, if we see these big shifts in PTSD, and again, the drop in veterans in their PTSD and randomized controlled trials is over 60%. So if there's this big psychological change, then stress hormones must be affected. And the main stress hormone, the best one to measure is cortisol. Cortisol is stable. It's very stable day in, day out. If I measure your cortisol, Rajiv, at 3 p.m. on Thursday, it's going to be very similar 3 p.m. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we measure cortisol. And so I, I hypothesized if mental health's improving, cortisol is going to be dropping. So I did a huge triple-blind randomized controlled trial. It was published in the oldest peer-reviewed psychiatry journal in the U.S. And mainstream journal published this. And it showed that one hour of EFT had more than double the effect on anxiety and depression as one hour of talk therapy. So EFT was dropping anxiety and depression more than twice as much as conventional therapies. And cortisol just plummeted in that hour. And then I thought, okay, cortisol is going down, but that's a steroid. And we know that cortisol is coded by genes. So the gene that codes for cortisol and a whole bunch of other neurotransmitters and hormones that have to do with stress must be being downregulated. And so I did another large-scale randomized controlled trial involved a lot of veterans. We looked at their gene expression. We found exactly that. Genes that control inflammation, genes that control uh, body functions like immunity, we're being upregulated. So we literally are changing our gene expression by our energy, with our thoughts, with our beliefs, and with our consciousness. So that was kind of my, my progress through the gene in your genes and writing that book. That's pretty awesome. What's the role of uh, sound and smell in meditation? Some people have hallucinations, especially if they do really effective meditation. And so what I talk about in Bliss Brain, my most recent book, is neurotransmitters and hormones that dock with receptor sites in the brain. And most people are familiar with what's called the lock and key model of neurotransmitters. So we know that, um, that serotonin docks with certain receptor sites in the synapses of the brain. And we believe that drugs like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors dock with those same receptor sites. We know that THC, docks with what's called the endocannabinoid system. So when you smoke a joint of marijuana or have a marijuana pill, then that THC in marijuana will dock with those receptor sites in the endocannabinoid system. But that also means we have natural hormones and neurotransmitters that dock with those same sites. And the one that docks with the same sites as THC is called anandamide. It's also called the bliss molecule. Ananda means 
bliss. So it's this highly pleasurable neurotransmitter. And you just make it in meditation. In certain meditation styles, you make it. But you don't only make lots of anandamide, you make lots of serotonin. And serotonin is similar in molecular shape to psilocybin, magic mushrooms. So I was meditating this morning, and I was seeing these beautiful shapes, these beautiful, hearing these beautiful sounds. In Bliss Brain, I give people access to three chants, beautiful, like otherworldly chants. And sometimes I'm meditating and I'll hear this otherworldly music, the music of the spheres, or you'll see beautiful shapes, or you'll uh, you'll you'll smell really pleasing scents. And this is all, it's kind of like a drug trip. It's like a, a psilocybin trip, except you're generating all this all these drugs purely in your own brain by changing your consciousness. So that, that's where this comes into meditation. Awesome. Now, there's a meditation technique that you developed as well, right? Eco-meditation? Eco-meditation, because I learned meditation at 15, and I have never been able to still my mind. And hardly anyone can still their mind. And so the teachers say, oh, you just sit there, close your eyes, and still your mind. And it's like, you can't still your mind. The mind was not the brain is fundamentally geared to paying attention to what's going on around you. It is not meant to be still unless you're sleeping. Even when you're sleeping, you hear a little sound out of the ordinary, you're awake in an instant. So um, I developed eco-meditation for non-meditators, failed meditators, and people who failed every other kind of meditation can sit there. It's based on physiological cues to the body, and they're all evidence-based. They're all based on research. So simple things like relaxing your tongue on the floor of your mouth sends a calming signal to the vagus nerve, which then calms your whole body. There's a certain breathing technique you use that's very easy to, to use. And you just do these seven steps of eco-meditation we're now studying eco-meditation in the laboratory and finding that it's producing radical shifts in brain function, and it's doing it within a month. So that you don't need to spend 10,000 hours, you don't need to go to the monastery, you just use effective science-based techniques, and you can reach those elevated states. You know, when it comes to managing stress, you talked about PTSD, but you know, the, the, let's say a sports team or yes. an, an athlete. Is it yes. the same same kind of stress, or does the are there varieties of stress people are struggling with? Rajiv, another fascinating question. And so, stress happens on a curve, like many things, is on a bell curve. And so, what happens is, at the lower limits of the bell curve, stress is really helpful. I mean, you're doing a podcast now. You're the host. You want your listeners to be engaged. I'm the guest. I want the listeners to be engaged we have a certain level of cortisol. If you were laying back that totally relaxed, I had a martini in my hand and I was, <laughs> I had no cortisol, I would not be a very entertaining guest and you would not be a very good host. So we, <laughs> we need that moderate level of stress to perform. That's why we're excited about our days. I mean, I, I get out of my meditations in the morning and I am so passionately excited about the day ahead. I'm just bursting with ideas and enthusiasm and joy at doing what I do. So you want to be like that. And that is a certain level of stress, good stress. Hans Selye, the guy who developed the concept of stress in the 1920s and 30s, he called that eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E -E like euphoric stress. That's the state you want to be in. So if you're that, that dancer going out on, on stage in front of, of the Metropolitan Opera or Juilliard School of Music, you feel that stress, but it's a stress of excitement and joy and performance. And so you give a great performance if you have that level of eustress. But 
keep on going up the scale. And now it starts to turn into what Hans Selye called distress. Now there's too much stress. You have performance anxiety. And we can measure this in the, in the brain. A little bit of stress is shows up as beta waves, beta brain waves from 13 to 30 cycles per second is how your brain is predominantly firing. If you get into too much beta, too big a beta, it turns into panic. And that's when stress impedes you. So for that athlete, that golfer needs to have complete attention at the hole and on her swing. So the athlete, the person who has, is a high performer, they have that moderate level of helpful stress. People who start to fall apart in sport or in performance or giving a speech or become overwhelmed or in combat or in really difficult situations in marriage in work in parenting with money that's because they have too much stress we hook them up to an eeg we see huge amounts of beta waves not normal but huge amounts it's called high amplitude beta and that's when you have too much stress it impedes your functioning so you want a little bit of stress there's a Goldilocks speed spot, just enough, not too much. Absolutely. Now, in terms of your training programs, what kind of programs do you offer? We have programs focused on both ends of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum is dealing with trauma. If you don't deal with trauma and try and reach peak states, you might get there, but you're unlikely to sustain them. And then trauma denied. If you use what's called spiritual bypassing, I'm just going to go and meditate on the mountain and all my anger is going to go away and I'm going to feel so good on top of the mountain with the other monks in the monastery. And yes, you are. But you go back down to the village and start haggling on the, for the price of a, of a melon and you get angry again. So you, <laughs> you have to go and resolve your childhood trauma. So we teach EFT. We train people in EFT. They can download my free mini manual online. They can take a training course, a live training course, a virtual training course. We also have a certification program. We literally certify people, coach, life coaches, doctors, nurses, psychotherapists, psychiatrists. We certify people to apply EFT with others, with their family members, with their clients, with their, with their kids, with their communities. And it's powerful. We did one study of nurses in a COVID ward, and these are highly, highly stressed people. It took only one 20-minute intervention with them to bring their stress down significantly after they come off their shift in the, in the COVID ward. So it's really applicable to the real world. We train people in how to use EFT. You've got to resolve that lower level of trauma. And then you feel okay. But you don't want to just feel okay. I mean, feeling okay is better than feeling terrible. <laughs> but you want to go from feeling okay to feeling great, wonderful, powerful, and just in tune with the universe, in tune with other people. And so we have other training programs which take you up there. You learn eco-meditation. Again, all the basic stuff is free online. You just go to eco-meditation, learn eco-meditation, learn the meditations. Then you start to move up the scale. Now you start to become good at evoking these states, not by accident, because we all have flow states when we look at a beautiful sunset or walking on the beach or we're hugging a close friend or holding a newborn baby. Everyone's experienced flow states. How do you trigger them and then make them your predominant reality? And so we do that with people. We train high performers to literally get there in the morning and stay there throughout the day. So that's the potential of, of people. And then you move into what we call in 
our training programs, Non-Local Mind. You are no longer bound by the rigors, by the limitations of local reality. Einstein talked about this a lot. He said, every great scientific accomplishment and breakthrough has been made at that level of non-local mind. You know, great dancers and great poets and Rumi and St. Francis, these great mystics, all talk about moving someplace other than yourself. Napoleon Hill in the book, Think and Grow Rich, talks about moving into alternate states of consciousness where he convenes what he calls his invisible council, and he has access to the wisdom of the universe, which he then brings down. So we train people to both heal trauma, prerequisite, and then move into elevated states. And you basically just are in a place where you feel wonderful every day. That's why the, why the book is called Bliss Brain. So that's the potential of every human being. And then you find your life shaped by the vision of possibilities in that non-local universe. Awesome. And uh, what's your website? The two websites to go to, to buy the book, you go to, actually the book's free at blissbrain.com. They shipping and handling, but the book's free there. There are eight free meditations at blissbrain.com. And then to get the EFT manual, and also we did a special meditation on immunity because we did two clinical trials and we found that as cortisol goes down, your immune system gets a big boost. In one of those two trials, in one week of tapping, doing EFT, and meditating, people's levels of immune markers rose by 113%. And you can look that up on PubMed, the US government's research database. Just look for my name, Dawson Church. You'll see all these studies over there. But to get that immune meditation, there's a free immune meditation, and that's at Dawson, my name, D-A-W-S-O-N, gift.com that's the free eft mini manual and that special immune meditation we found that boosts your level of immunity awesome and what's the best way for people to reach you either of those sites go there email us and we'll get back to you awesome well dr church thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure learning about you about your services especially you know it's it's been revealing learning so much about eft before I let you go, one takeaway for the listeners, anything that you'd like to share? Practice. Just start practicing immediately. Like I was in that crisis at the age of 45 with those two businesses being too demanding. And I made that resolution to meditate every day starting tomorrow. Make that commitment. The meditations at those two sites I gave you, they're 15 minutes long. A piece of research at Harvard Medical School showed that if you reach those peak states for that 15, 20 minutes in the morning, the effect results in 48 hours of enhanced brain function. So just make the commitment to that 15, 20 minutes in the morning, and you have leverage, increased brain function for the next two days. Do it every single day, and very quickly you'll find yourself letting go of your trauma, you'll find yourself moving to these elevated states, and you'll start to literally change the structure of your brain. One guy who did this, his brain was being measured by an MRI team. His emotion regulation circuit began growing at 10% a month. Our brains can change very quickly. So I encourage you to start right away, practice this and see the shift in your behavior, your life and your brain. Well, thank you so much for that. And thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, Rajiv. Thanks for having me.